Absolutely. Yeah. What, what made you start this podcast? For me, I think it's something I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to spread the word of what I am doing. And I found a lot of people didn't know my story. So my story was me being 100 pounds overweight. And I found that a lot of people would meet me in person. A lot of people would meet me online and they wouldn't understand where I've been. So the podcast was an opportunity for me to give a little bit back in regards to who I am, my story, how I can help. Um, because there's a lot of, I think, men out there who were struggling where I was. And I think that um, they could do with a lot of help from myself. And I'll flip that question on, on, on its head as well. You know, why are you wanting to go on podcasts? Why are you wanting to tell your story? Yeah, I, I am normally a very uh, private, very guarded individual in terms of, you know, my personal life. Uh, I think that comes from all my years as, as a police officer being in law enforcement. But I, I honestly think it's it's my purpose in life at this point in time. You know, we, we all like to think that we find our purpose. And I think we I think that's kind of a misnomer. I think that our purpose is not one thing. It shouldn't be purpose singular. It should be purposes plural, at least for me. And you know, when I was younger, I, I was an athlete. I, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. And then after college, I I got into law enforcement. I, my grandfather was a police officer, and I kind of want to follow in his footsteps. And now, as I have cancer, and, and in all honesty, more than likely coming to the end of my life, my purpose, I think, has, has shifted again to, to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can with my story. I, I don't, I, I, I never say I have all the answers. I, I don't, but mm. here are things that I have learned during my 11 year battle with cancer. And maybe you can benefit from those. Maybe you can take all of them, one of them, some of them and incorporate them in your life and make your life better. So, you know, it, it was funny. I started a motivational speaking business right as COVID hit. And mm. like so many other businesses, I had to figure out a different way to offer my service. And somebody reached out to me and said, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? Mm. And I said, sure. What's a podcast? I had absolutely no <laughs> idea what a podcast was. And I think, like, well, we kind of have a conversation. We record it. We put it on social media. And I said, okay. And, and honestly, I was, I was horrible. I had, I had posted notes all around the camera. They would ask a question and I would kind of lean in and read the post. And I, it was just, it, it was yeah. terrible. But like anything else in life, the more you do it, if you yeah. want to be good at it, the better you get at it. 100%. And in regards to what you said about purpose, I think purpose evolves over time. And a lot of people get very stuck and say one track minded when it comes to purpose. What is my purpose? What is it that I need to do? And a lot of the time, I think people put a lot of pressure on finding a purpose when a lot of the time the purpose will just come to you and I think something that you've probably noticed is that as you started you know going through um for example things like your cancer treatment and whatnot you found that this kind of just came probably naturally to you you wanted to tell your story you wanted to tell about your life and things like that yeah I I, I did I it was you know I, I think we all have to have something to do. My, my dad, when I graduated from college, was dying of cancer. Mm. And he he had he had end stage breast cancer back in the 1980s when they honestly really didn't know how to treat a man with breast cancer. And they pretty much told him to go home and die. And he mm. lived for another three and a half years. And I believe he did because he had a purpose. He was in real estate. And he actually worked up till two weeks before he died. And I sort of tucked that in the back of my mind where, you know, well, when it's when it's my turn, you have to have something to do. Otherwise, you know, the, the demons of doubt will kind of creep into your mind and you'll, you know, am I going to die? Or, you know, you you focus yeah. on all the bad things that are going on in your life instead of having a purpose. My wife and I kind of go back and forth with, you know, you, you need to rest during your two weeks off. You need to, you know, get your blood counts back up and things like that. And I always joke with her. I'm like, eh, I get plenty of rest when I'm dead. I, th these things energize me. They give me a reason to get up and, and to get out there and to engage with other people. So this is this is really as much about me, you mm. know, 
giving what I have, but it's also what I get from it in terms of having interaction with other people. I completely love that. And it's, you know, you say, and that reminds me, so I lost my dad when I was 13 to cancer and towards the end of his life, he was very purposeful, you know, still waking up early, still making sure he was getting things done. I remember, um, you know, before he passed, he made sure that everything um, in the house is updated, new televisions, new, uh, make sure the oven is great, make sure new fridge, new, all of these things were bought and set in the house. And he made sure that that was kind of his purpose. That was what he was waking up for, making sure everything was done before he passed. And I think that, I think when you get to that sort of stage of, say, an illness, I think that really, if anything, makes your purpose more clearer than anything and more clearer than it's ever been before. You know, as well, it's well, something I've already noticed is that you've got a lot of positivity, even though you're going through something that a lot of people sadly would just give in and just, you know, accept fate and leave it to, you know, feeling or going into even a state of depression. How is it that you keep such a positive tone and a positive note about it all? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I don't want to give the impression that, you know, I'm always bubbling it up and, and full of energy. I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I, I mean, I, when I was first diagnosed, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. You know, first mm-hmm. it was denial because after my dad died, I'm like, you know what? I, I, I was always an athlete. So I ate right. I exercised. I did all those kind of things, but I, you know, I'm going to have a physical exam with my doctor over here. I'm going to do what he or she tells me to do it. And I've done all that. And yet I get this incredibly rare form of cancer. So first it was denial. And then it was, how could I possibly have cancer? I've done everything right. So you get mad. And our our daughter was in high school when I was initially diagnosed. And then you sort of, at least I did, bargain with God. Hey, you know, just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then I got down. I, I got depressed. I felt, you know, like, well, what the heck? What's the use going on? You know, they told me this was terminal, that they really didn't have anything they could offer me. So, you know, why am I fighting this? And then I got to a point where I just accepted it, where it was, you know, for lack of a better term, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace that suck. I I don't like the cards that I've been dealt, but I'm going to have to play those cards to the best of my ability. And I think one of the things that team sports, I I mentioned, I, I went to college on a basketball scholarship. I I started playing basketball when I was nine years old and, and played all the way up till I graduated from college. And I think what team sports taught me, and I think it, for me, it was sports. I think it could be whatever team you're a part mm-hmm. of, whether it's your family or colleagues, is the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, you realize on a team that if you don't do your job, not only do you let yourself down, but you let your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game that we all play is this game of life. And so, you know, I mentioned I'm on this clinical trial drug now that's more than likely not going to save my life, but maybe it's going to save the life of somebody five years from now, 10 years from now, based on the data that the doctors are gleaning from my blood tests and my scans. And if that's the case, for me, that's being part of something that's bigger than yourself. 100%. 100%. And I love that as well. Embrace the suck. Um, I I actually had another guest on a podcast quite recently who also mentioned the same thing. And it's, it's re- it really is powerful um, when it comes to dealing with the difficult things. A lot of the time you have to embrace it. And even with the emotion, a lot of times I see, especially men, will struggle with dealing with emotion and processing emotion, hiding, tucking away, um, really repressing it and something that I go over is that you've got to look at your emotion as a river and you've got to be able to let it flow you've got to be able to embrace that emotion because otherwise you end up spending more time more energy on repressing constantly and constantly and constantly and I think that probably something for you is that you just allowed them emotions as you said you went through the different stages but you let them in you let them happen and I think a lot of people can learn from that because a lot of people do just repress, repress, repress. And the ability to, you say, let it flow is so powerful because you can actually learn so much from that as well. Um, and even in regards to, you know, something bigger than yourself, I find this with, the, so I'm a, 
online um, fitness coach and I train um, majority of men. And reason one of the biggest reasons that I do it is to give that give men some sort of community, to give them a place to where they can express uh, express themselves, a place where they can be surrounded by like minded individuals that are pushing on and becoming better, and really you know trying to make the most out of life. And as you said, it's something that I see when people get older and they fall out of team sports or they fall out of um, being part of anything like that. Is that they really do sort of get into what we call like a rut, like really stuck. And if you were to, you know, say be that person in that position who is stuck in the rut and it's their their next step to try and get out of that, how would you go about it? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I I guess I would, I mean, for me, I've always been a curious individual. I've always wanted to know the the how the what the when the why of, of things whether it's people and and for me it, it absolutely is people I was a one of the jobs I had in my life is I was a hostage negotiator on a mm-hmm. police department SWAT team and so we we dealt a lot with the how and the why or the how and the what and we tried to stay away from why questions because they were they're accusatory well, why did you do that? Oh, wait a minute. Is he trying to say? So I, I think for me, it, it's just being curious. And and I get I get in ruts. I, I I absolutely do. And and I find the best way to do that or, or to get out of that is to, you know, when you're in those ruts, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, when it's all about you and all that kind of stuff, you're looking inward, you're looking inside. And I find a real simple, easy way to get out of that is to take that energy and focus it outside. Who can I help? Who can I go pick up the phone? Hey, how's it going? You know, or when I go for treatments, do you want to have a cup of coffee? Or do you just want to sit around and talk and things like that? Now, all of a sudden, you're not focused on you anymore. You're focused on something external. And especially if it's somebody else where, you know, maybe they just need to talk. Maybe you just open that door for them that, oh my gosh, somebody cares. Somebody's listening. Somebody wants to hear my story thank God, because I was, I was in that rut. I was in that. Nobody cares about me. It's all about me. So I I really just find an easy way to do that is to stop thinking, Oh, woe is me. And this is terrible. And I'm stuck. And then project that, not project that negative energy, but project something positive out with somebody else. And now all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're, you're helping another individual. And that, at least for me, that gives me more energy that, that sort Mm. of picks me up and keeps me moving forward. Well, yeah, I can completely agree with that in creating energy. It's like, even for example, so um, this afternoon, I went and done my grocery shopping and there were people at the front asking for um, donations for a food bank. And so I thought, yeah, okay, I'll buy some food. And it just, even without anyone knowing and me just putting the food into the basket, it does create that energy because I was in a bit of a, mood this morning if you were to say mood a bit more of a down state but literally doing something just small like that just picks you up because you help you you're helping other people so I even say whether it be so in in a previous life when I used to actually drive to work um I always used to when I used to get a coffee I'd always aim to pay for the person behind me and it's just something little things like that that can just instantly boost your mood create energy and completely turn around your day and you actually don't even realize how much it might affect someone else's day as well. And go on. No, I was going to go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. It's all right. And um, it's even yesterday I got a voice message off my, of one of my friends and he had just said to me, he was like, he said, I don't really tell you this often, but I'm really grateful for you and for all that you do for me. And I just thought, isn't that lovely? Is And it just completely changed my day. And I can imagine that it changed his day as well. Oh, absolutely. And and, and you never know whose life you touch. I, I, I'll tell you two quick stories. I, I have a receptionist uh, before I get my treatments that I, I have to get, get blood. I have to have mm-hmm. blood work done. And, and the receptionist, the last time I was in there, and I, and I see her, you know, I've been doing this for almost three years now. I see her every every day and I always greet her and how's it, how you doing? And I start on Mondays, you know, what'd you do over the weekend and things like that. And she said to me the other day, she said, you're always so nice and positive. You're always, you know, you always ask me about me and how my day was. And I, I said to her, I said, do, do people not do that to you? 
She said, no. She said, as a matter of fact, many people are rude and discourteous to me because, and I said, well, why do you think that is? She said, well, I don't know. I said, well, do you think maybe they're they're scared or they're anxious or they're they're apprehensive about what the blood work they're going to have is going to say and what their doctor's going to tell them and things like that? I said, don't take it personally. Realize that you're you may be the only ray of sunshine that they have in their life. So let meet their ugliness, meet their discourtesy with with positivity. And how are you doing? You know, it, what I'm doing to you, you should be doing to them. And she's like, well, I never, I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all, we're all interconnected. If COVID taught us anything, it's yeah. the importance of how much we need each other. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of alcoholism, drug abuse, domestic violence that went up during COVID when we were all isolated <coughs> has to show us, you know, how important our, our collective being together is. And the other story is I had a, I had a nurse who, uh, when I first met her, she was, she was about 25 years old. It started in the unit where I was being treated and she was being trained on that unit. She was already a nurse. About eight months later, she's taking care of me. And she walks into the room and she said, Terry, I've got a story to tell you, but I'm a little uncomfortable telling it to you. I didn't know how to respond to that. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, well, I, I, I hope you, you decide you want to tell me the story. I said, I think it might be interesting. So she's in and out over the next couple hours and finally comes in, sits down. And she's like, all right, here's the story. She said, when I first met you, she said, I was going to get out of nursing. I'd had a very good friend of mine that had died. I was in a really dark place. I talked to my parents. I was going to quit nursing and I was going to go to work for Amazon. And she said, and then I met you and I see what you go through every three weeks when you come here for treatment every day. Then I went back in your file and I read your story over these past, you know, 11 years. And she said, after I finished that, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Now, if she would have never told me that story, I would have had no idea that yeah. my life had had a positive impact on her. So how many people are out there that that are looking at you, that are looking at me, that that are like, boy, I would give anything I have just to walk five minutes in his shoes or her shoes and things like that. So we, we really don't realize, just based on how we live our lives, how amazing other people see us when sometimes we think, Oh man, you know, I'm down, I'm depressed. There's, you know, there's nothing worth worth anything in my body. No, other people look at you and think you're amazing. Yeah. And I think we can get stuck in our own heads sometimes. I think you, you know, when that before that nurse came and maybe had that conversation, maybe you never thought that your story meant say anything to anyone. And I this is something I've been getting used to because obviously I've dropped over a hundred pounds now and you know. I've went from working in a warehouse with Amazon to now building a successful online coaching career. And a lot of people look at will look at me as if I'm great. And I also then make sure that I'm that person that offers them to be like, I was where, where you were. I was struggling in the exact same position as you were. And I can make a life out of it. So can you, you know. And when it comes to it, you know, there's been times where I've been, you know, in massive amounts of debt, struggling, really, you know, living to, you know, really low standards and other people don't, um, a lot of other people need to be made aware at the same time that it is possible to get out. It is possible to do better. Um, You are capable of so much. I think a lot of people do forget when you're working day in, day out and you go into your job, you're coming home, you're sorting food, you're dealing with the kids, you forget that you're actually capable of so much more than what you are capable of. You know, you once upon a time, an ex-police officer, did you ever think that you would be a motivational speaker, an author, things like that? And, you know, I, I love to see it, especially within, within my clients. I see my clients really thriving and actually, you know, for example, I had a client of mine get two promotions within a year just because um, they felt their confidence had risen so much that they can go out and do presentations. And it's just you being able to see how capable you are, but also having someone also believe in you at the same time is something huge, I think. It, it, it really is. And I guess I would ask you the question. I mean, you are, you know, it's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to be able to walk that talk as well. And, you know, you, you, you do both. I mean, you, you know, you can say, Hey, I'm going to give you advice. And because you know what, I was a hundred pounds overweight and I lost it. Yeah. So my, my question to you is, how did you do that? What was what was your process? What was your your mindset in losing a hundred pounds? 
That's an amazing question. I think for me, I always bring it down. Initially, the first start of the change was what I'd call moments that happened in my life where I was like, okay, you have to actually make a change. And those moments where there were times, well, for example, let's take it back to even the start. I, my family, um, especially on my dad's side, were always diabetic, always um, illnesses, either cancer would, would affect them or um, many other illnesses. And at that time, even I, had, um, I was asthmatic. I also had high blood pressure. Um, my cholesterol was through the roof. And this was me at 17, 18 years old. And so that was an initial point, but that for some reason, and I see this, that wasn't like a massive reason to change. I was just like, oh, that's just how, that's just how it is. And then little things started to occur, like me going out and playing sports with my friends. And, you know, after about a couple of minutes of jogging, I was throwing up and I was ill and I was getting migraines. I'd come home. I could feel my words starting to slay. And I was like, what is this? I'm like, I'm 17, 18 years old and I'm living like this. I was like, I can't believe it. Even, you know, going shopping and having to buy 3XL and it's embarrassing. Um, and it used to really upset me. I used to come home and I used to see people on television or people like my friends in shape, buying what they want, feeling good, going out, getting girls, things like that. And I was there just, just being there. So... For me, as soon as them moments happened, I was always going to change. I was always going to change how my life was going to look. However, I did not have any sort of guidance. So for me, it was starting up in a gym, but I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I literally, I was there for about a month and a half and I was like, well, nothing's changing, but I'm going every single day. What is going on? And then that is when I realized the power of actually asking for help and, you know, looking for mentors. So initially I went and got myself a personal trainer and don't get me wrong at that time. Oh, now I realize that personal trainer obviously wasn't the most knowledgeable, but it's got me started on my journey, you know, got me would have been about close to about 30 pounds down. Then I spent some time on my own, probably got myself down maybe another 20 pounds. Then I got another trainer they helped me probably get down maybe another 10, 15 pounds. And then I actually went all in and invested in my in my coach, who is my coach now. And that's where we got to the 100 pound mark. But the biggest thing I'd say during that mindset for me, you know, with my first personal trainer, every single session I had, I'd come home. And this used to actually be my bedroom that I'm standing in right now. And I'd come lie on, lie on the bed because I'd be getting a migraine. And... I wouldn't be able to talk. I wouldn't be able to open me open my eyes. I'd have to make sure the lights were off. And that was me three times a week. And I say to people sometimes when you are when they are struggling, I'm like, you know, I've been in dark places. I have struggled big time. Because then migraines are not no easy feat. I think, you know, and it felt as if every time. But for me, during them times, it was like. I'm going to have to get through this if I want to become who I want to be. It don't be wrong. <clears throat> now I realize it doesn't have to be that hard. Hey guys, just a quick intermission. I hope that you are all loving this episode so far. A quick message just on if you guys are listening to this and you're ready to make a change, you're ready to get into the shape of your life, you're ready to start looking after your mental health to a higher level, and you're ready to start thriving in your career, social life and relationships, reach out to me at coastgel underscore on Instagram and we can work together to get you into the best shape of your life. Listen to this podcast, you're already taking steps forward, but without action, nothing changes. So let's make an action today. And I have three spots available in my coaching program for the rest of this year. So if you are interested, just pop over and drop me a message with the word coach. Right, I'll let you get back to it moments of change for me just allowed me to see kind of the future version of myself, see what the consequences of that were going to be. And once I realized the consequences was going to be probably an early death, no one to love me, a lonely life, a, a life of constant migraines, of constant um, illnesses. And for me, 
that was it then. Um, and then my second personal trainer actually then said to me, Jaleel, have you not thought about becoming a personal trainer? And I was like, no. He was like, I think you should. Next thing you know, six years later, here I am. So, yeah. So would you say your your purpose then was bigger than your pain? And that's what allowed you to do what you did? Yeah, I'd say, yeah, 100%. My purpose for me at that moment was to actually stay alive. I, th I think that is why it driven it drove me on so much. And the reason why I could be so resilient through a lot of pain because the pain at points was really bad. And, you know, my, my mother would come into me and she'd be like, you know, I think you need to stop. I need you need, you need to stop doing this to yourself. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. I have to carry on. This is just what it's meant to be like. And he said that, that purpose was bigger. And now, you know, the purpose is I'm trying to help people who once were in that position that I was in and helping men. You know, I have men between ages 25, 35, who a lot of the times gets me emotional when I'm talking to them because I can see my old self in them and I can see the struggles that they're having. And for me, it's so fulfilling to be able to see them change their lives, not just for them, but for their families, their children, to become like great role models. is It's an amazing thing to see. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it's, um, for me, it's... Uh, it's crazy because what we talked about before, purpose just seems to find you. You know, for, for me, I was meant to be going to university and all of a sudden I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So then I worked at Amazon and then all of a sudden I was working at Amazon and I went to my personal trainer of the morning and he was like, why don't you become a personal trainer? And then all of a sudden I just fell into this and then I realized, okay, this is actually something I love to do. And, but I didn't put any ever put any sort of pressure on it. It just naturally found me, which is really, really good. And, and I would agree with you, but I guess I would, I would, I would sort of couch that a little bit. You, you know, purpose will find you as long as you're open to it. You know, yeah. as long as you haven't shut yourself down and, and, you know, things come at you and you're like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not even going to consider that. If you hadn't been in a situation where your, your personal trainer had said to you, Hey, have you ever thought about doing that? You were open to that. Yeah, no, I've never thought about it, but I was still open to doing that. And I think so many people quit, give up, shut themselves down at such an early age because they don't think that, you know, I, I haven't found my purpose yet. I'm I'm 25 yeah. or I'm 30 yeah. years old. And it's like, sometimes your purpose doesn't manifest itself until you're 40 or 50 or 60. And I think another point about purpose is a lot of times we think that our purpose has to be our, our job or our occupation. And it doesn't. I mean, your job could be over here. It's what you do to pay the bills, but your purpose is over here and it's to be a podcast host or to, to be an author or a painter or an activist or whatever you feel is in your heart. And I, I always tell young people when I speak with them, I said, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, Go ahead and do it because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did. They're going to be those things that you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. I agree once again, completely with that point and what you said about purpose. I think you, you have to to a degree, go looking for your purpose without going looking for your purpose. Yes. And, and how I found that, because I was doing some sort of self-development was that I was always then open to finding my purpose. I was always trying to progress myself. And as you said, it's difficult for people to try and force it. And then they're like, you know, they get to 30 years old and they're like, I haven't found my purpose. I'm failing at life. But a lot of the times they haven't integrated themselves in boosting their own development in different things. So development can be getting into shape. Development can be reading a book every so often because then things click. If I didn't put myself in that situation, as you said, then my personal trainer would never have told me to become a personal trainer. And I think that's a good bit of advice for everyone who is listening is that put yourself in a position where you're always growing. 
you're always trying to aim to get better. And I said that can be that can be even really small things as maybe picking up a habit such as, you know, knitting, for example, or a habit such as, you know, reading five pages of a book every night. It could be anything. And all of a sudden you'll read a word, you'll, you know, come across one person and they can change your life forever. But that won't happen if you don't naturally progress for more. Right. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. In in regards, I thought it was interesting, you know, obviously you were a hostage negotiator. What, if you could kind of break it down to like three lessons that you've learned during that period, because I think that, that would come into a really, I bet you've got a really good understanding of human behavior because of that. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll give you a couple of things. I mean, when, when we were, when I was first brought onto the team, they, they gave, they gave us a formula and, and I'm going to try to remember it was 738.55 and it had mm. to do with how we communicate with each other. So 7% of communication is the words that you use, what you say to another individual. 38% of it is the tone of voice that you use when you give those words, when you say those words. And 55% of it is your body language and facial expressions. Mm-hmm. So think about that. And, and, you know, as negotiators, you know, as police officers, 99% of what we did was face-to-face with another individual, whether it was stopping them for, and giving them a ticket for running a stop sign or answering a radio run for a fight. It was face-to-face with other people. But as hostage negotiators, we weren't with the person who was, you know, we could be blocks away talking on the phone or, you know, behind the locked door with a ballistic blanket up and and things like that. So what we didn't have was that 55%. So, you know, if I said something to you, if if you were barricaded, I couldn't see you be like, oh gosh, I can't, you know, I I mean, you know, roll your eyes and be like, what an idiot. I can't believe he said that to me kind of thing. So we had to figure things out based on what people were saying, what they weren't saying and how they were saying it. And, and the overarching part of being a negotiator was trust. Uh, we call it a tactical empathy. Help me understand where you're coming from. Help me understand what brought us to this point today. And again, understand, not necessarily agree with. I mean, if you just killed three people and you barricaded yourself inside a house, I'm not going to agree with that what you did was right, but I want yeah. you to help me understand why you did it. So that was another point. And then the importance of listening to understand versus listening to reply. You know, we, we get so caught up in our conversations that, you know, hurry up and say what you're going to say because I want to get my two cents in. That's listening to respond as opposed to, oh, Jaleel, I understand. I, I, I heard what you said. I may agree with you, may not agree with you, but help me to understand where you're coming from. Help me to understand why you feel that way. Now we're connecting on a human level. And again, you know, the overarching part of all this was trust. We're building that empathy. We're building that trust. And that hopefully helps me to get you out safely. No, well, I think with the, that's really good. The seven thirty-eight fifty-five, And the fact that probably a lot of the time you said you had to go without 55% of that and try and try and actually find out you know the reason and of why they're doing what they're doing without the body language side of it and even something like the listening to understand i always find there's a real big power in silence yes being a, being able to have a conversation so i use this with clients quite a lot is i'll mention something to them and or ask them a question and they'll give me a response and just the power of silence is is massive the power of silence will allow you to open up, will allow someone to actually say what is on their mind. And I think that's probably something that you probably used a lot, I'm, I'm guessing. We, we did. We it, it was called different things. It was called mirroring. It was called parroting. So we would, you would talk, you would talk, you would talk. And that's what we wanted you to do. We wanted you to burn off a lot of that emotional energy by talking. And, and, and you would stop talking and we would just parrot back to you the last three words you said, or the most important two or three words that you said. And we would do it in kind of an acquisitive voice, you know, like, you know, where you you would end on a kind of, oh, you you know, come across that way. And then we would shut up. And we don't like silence 
in, in terms of, you know, of, of human beings. When we're having a conversation, that sort of pregnant pause or that silence is uncomfortable to us. But you're right. We would use it to our advantage. We would say the last three words, which again was, oh, they're, they're hearing me. They, they just parroted back to me what I said. So they're understanding me. And then we would go silent. And mm. we would stay silent. I mean, sometimes 15, 20 seconds. And what it would do was get the other person, the barricaded person, the hostage taker, to start talking again. And that's that's exactly what we wanted them to do. I, I kind of acquainted what we did sort of, if you think of a, a seesaw or a teeter-totter, you know, at the park, when we started, the person's emotional brain was way up in the air and their rational brain was down on the ground. By asking those open-ended questions and how and what questions, you know, you kind of bring that teeter-totter to equilibrium and then hopefully get it to the point where their rational brain is up in the air and their emotional brain is down on the ground because we all make better decisions with our rational brain than we do with our emotional brain. One million percent. And I think it's crazy how human behavior does work in them regards because something like you said, you said piloting or just even having that sort of silence of 15, 20 seconds. I think a lot of people could really use that just in their general everyday life to become a listener, to be always be a student as well. You know, something I always found myself guilty of, especially when I was younger, is that I would want to be the person who was portraying as if they, they knew a lot, but I wasn't a good listener. And something that I really practiced was just being quiet. So be having some silence and then again I actually understood then how much I was learning from everybody else and how much it was you know actually instead of it going just straight over my head I was actually intaking the things that they were saying and that was such a skill I think a lot of people could really do with and a lot of people could really learn from just have some silence actually go out of your way to always think that you can learn something from somebody else for, for example, we wouldn't be on this podcast today if I didn't know that I could learn something from you and you wouldn't be on if you didn't think you could learn something from me. And we know that we can always, you can do that with anyone, whether it be a person just randomly on the street, you can always learn. I think when you go into things with that sort of attitude, um, you're always going to grow and always going to learn, always going to get better as well. Absolutely. There's a, there's a book by the name of Do Hard Things is the title. Mm. It's written by a man by the name of Steve Magnus. And he cites, I don't remember if it was a researcher or a professor or whatever, uh, this study that was done. And this, this researcher took uh, mostly younger people and put them in a room. And the only thing in the room was a, a table and a chair. And mm. he asked them to stay in there for 15, 20 minutes, no devices, no cell phones, no you know, ear pot, anything. The only other thing in the room was a buzzer. And if you press the buzzer, you received an electric shock. 68% of the men and 28 or 25% of the women shocked themselves. And what the, what the research basically showed was, and kind of like what you just said, we're not comfortable, you know, being silent is one thing, but we're not comfortable with ourselves. We're not comfortable being alone by ourselves. And I think an, another practice uh, that kind of goes hand in hand with what you said about silence is to spend 10 minutes every day just sitting quietly, sitting in silence alone. I'm, I'm not talking about meditating or prayer or anything like that. Let your mind go wherever your mind goes, but be comfortable being with you. And so many young people, you know, they're not comfortable unless they have that device with them and, and, and they, they're not comfortable with who they are. So spend 10 minutes every day just being alone with yourself with no devices and see how that makes you feel better just about yourself overall. In regards to that, you know, even myself, so I've got a coach who is a, what he, he classes himself as like a mental performance coach, kind of like a bit of a therapist. And for me, the finding of myself and being able to have alone time and enjoy my alone time completely changed my life in regards to confidence, in regards to productivity, in regards to even just being more social than normal. And before that, 
I found for myself that I would attach to other people and attach my feelings to other people. And I was on this emotional, what you'd call like an emotional, emotional roller coaster. And as you said, being able to actually have 10 minutes a day where you can just, okay, I'm going to have this time just to me, just to myself. But it, that book then states a lot of people can't do that. And it's, I find it difficult sometimes to try and, it's difficult for to try and change people's um, thoughts about it. But as you said, I think that's such a, such a simple way to do it. It's just spend 10, everyone has 10 minutes. Everybody has 10 minutes. Just, you know, sit there, silence, put your phone away and you'll notice how much better you get. And also doing something like that, never know, one day something purposeful might pop into your mind as well. Um, for me, a simple practice that I do every day, every night before I go to bed, I put my phone in here in my office. I close the door. My phone is away from me. I'm away from any sort of electronics. And I can then just sit in bed and I either journal, I read, and then I give myself like five minutes at the end. And it just allows me just to be with me and not have to rely on social media and not have to rely on other people it allows you just to be able to rely on yourself and I think initially that should be the top priority for a lot of people understand yourself first be be happy being alone with yourself and everything else that comes into your life will only benefit and only make it better as well yeah you're right I mean but so many people as you know you know especially younger people their their life is tied to that device you know whoa, whoa wait a minute what did sally say about me or what did mike say about me and and they're you know i'm sorry sally and mike have not spent one second in your life in your body in in, in your head why do you care what they think why do you yeah. give them that power over you to say oh they said something good i feel good or they said something negative i feel bad why are you giving people who have never been in your head space inside your brain to influence how you feel about yourself have you ever been in that situation i i haven't i mean i'm old i can barely yeah. turn my cell phone on you know so, <laughs> yeah so i know it, it, it was tough getting you in here no <laughs> yes no I, I i haven't i mean i've certainly been bullied when i you know i'm i'm six foot eight inches tall and when i was 13 oh. years old i was six foot five I had huge feet. I had these big ears that hadn't caught up uh, with my head yet. And so, yeah, I got teased and stuff like that. I, I understand that. And I understand, especially young people, they want to be part of the group. They want to be included and not sort of out on the periphery. I get that. I, I, I understand the why about it. But again, I go back to why, why are you letting someone else, you know, basically rent space in your head? when they've never spent one second in your head they've never they don't know what you feel what you've been through what you're going through so why why do you care what they say i, I mean i think back to my days in law enforcement the the things that i've been called the names that i've been called by people i've arrested and things like that none of that mattered to me because those people didn't matter those those were people i was taking to jail i was going to go home and sleep in my bed they were sleeping on concrete yeah. you know so I didn't, it, it, it only matters if you let it matter. It, you know, th those things only matter to you if you allow, oh, Mike said he didn't like the outfit I was wearing or Sally doesn't like the way I'm, I'm, I'm wearing my hair today. Who cares? Do you like it? You know, I mean, we, we, we take our validation from other people. And like, like we were just talking about, we don't take our validation from ourselves because we never spend enough time with ourselves to be able to validate ourselves. It always comes back to, I say, play your own game, your yeah. own game of life. And when you look, when you change your mindset from trying to impress other people, compare to other people, and just focus on how you can get better, how you can improve, you all start to realize how unbothered you are about everyone around you. You know, I used to get it. So initially, when I first started, say, my online coaching practice, and I'd post um, posts on social media and my friends would be going to me uh, you only get like two likes per picture and I'm like and it, for me it didn't bother me at the time because I, in my mind I was like I'm doing what I want to do I'm spreading my message my word and I know that it'll always I, the more I do the more practice I put in it will get better 
And it's crazy because it even becomes down to like podcasts. I think it's um I think it's something like 97% of podcasts don't make it past episode three. Yeah. And a lot of the time, you'd probably think to yourself, well, people are thinking what other people are thinking of them. Why are they making a podcast and no one's listening to it? Why is it that, you know, what what gives them, oh, there goes my headphone, what gives them the right to make a podcast? And the thing is, is once you stop looking at it that way and just look at it as a fact of you can keep making exponential growth just by and putting in the work day in, day out and get that delayed gratification it's such a powerful feeling once you start to see that success actually come in. And, you know, I was getting, I said, my friend used to turn around and go, you've only got three likes on this post. And I'm like, right now I've got a thriving coaching business. How happy does that, how happy am I that I didn't give up when they were saying things like that? And I say to people, once you can link how their, their opinions don't really matter and how far, and how far you can go and actually get successful. Once you put the link together, it'll change your life completely. You're absolutely right. I remember reading an article that said, um, I think it was just here in the United States, 86% of people felt that they had a book inside them, either a memoir or, you know, wanted to write the next great thriller or whatever that less than 1% of those people ever write that book. So what what does that say to you? And I mean, having been lucky enough, fortunate enough to, to have written a book, the number of people that come to me, oh, hey, Terry, I want to write a book. You know, can I can I get with your publisher? And I can I, and I always tell them, sure, I'll be happy to you know to send you to my publisher. You write the book first. You know, you 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 actually do it. And I'll be honest with you, I think maybe only one person has ever written the book. They go yeah. away and they realize, oh my gosh, I I, I you know, all oh, this is hard work. And people, are like, well, how did you write a book? I said I had two rules. I said, number one, I, I promised myself I would write at least one page every day, except Sunday. I took Sunday off. I'll write one page at least every day. And number two is I will not edit anything until the first draft is done. And there were days I would sit down at the computer and I would write pure garbage. And I would be so mad at myself. It's like, this is terrible. This is never going into a book. But the next day I would write something better. And then maybe the next day I wrote garbage. And then maybe two days later, I wrote something good. And, and over time, you know, like I said, I'm not editing anything. And then by the end of the first draft, it was like, okay, that's coming out. That's coming out. That's coming out. And now I've got a manuscript that I'm proud of. And I, I didn't think it was hard. I mean, writing one page a day, you know, it doesn't have to be good. Just write it. You know, how do you be a good writer? You write. How do you be a good speaker? You speak. You know, how do you be a good podcast host? You, you host podcasts. Yeah. You have to do the thing that you, you know, that you want to do. You know, action is better than no action. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of it comes down to people want things to be perfect from the get-go, from the start. I actually had a conversation with a friend of mine who wanted to start up a business. So I was like, okay, let's jump on a call. We can have a chat. We can break things down and find out what has to happen. And all I could hear from him was doubts, excuses, and I was like, you've got to realize as long as you start, it doesn't matter where you start, it could be by taking a picture of a T-shirt. It could be by even ordering your first T-shirt to start, say, like a clothing line. It could be anything, but got to realize that things will never be perfect. And the only way to chase perfection is by taking action from the start. My coaching service initially I I probably had people come into my coaching service when I very first started that didn't get the results that I wish they had gotten. But that is a great experience for me to now be able to six years down the line, be able to help people actually guarantee to get them the results. But I had to take that action in the first place. I had to, you know, learn and learn from mistakes, not expected to be perfect from the start. I think if people could just take one step forward at a time, as you said, whether it be something so small as write one page a day. Maybe it's, you know, why not start go to the gym two times a week? It all starts somewhere, but action has to be taken. Just on the last point, Terry, I've loved this podcast. has been really, really good and really insightful. If you could, when you do, say, for example, leave this earth, what do you want to leave behind? What is it that, what message do you want everyone to know? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I don't have any visions that, you know, anybody's going to name a street or a basketball court or anything <laughs> after me or anything I like might, that. I but, might. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but I, I, I guess let me leave you with, with the story. Um, I, I had a nurse ask me, I had my, my foot amputated in 2018 and my leg amputated in 2020. And I had a nurse ask me, what, what was it like to, to lose, you know, your body parts and things like that? And I told her it, it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been easy at all. I'm, I'm six foot eight. So learning how to walk again, falling is not an option. You fall from six foot eight, you get hurt. And so what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Jalil. That's who everybody who's listening to us is. And we spend a lot of time, as, as you know, we spend a lot of time going to the gym and we spend a lot of time eating right and getting enough rest and reducing stress. We, we work on this body. And I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm not telling you that at all. You absolutely should do that. But what I am suggesting is maybe every day, as hard as you work on your body, Spend a little bit time, little bit of time working on your heart, your mind, and your soul. This body will eventually die, will eventually decay and go away. But your heart, your mind, and your soul, those things are eternal. Those things will live on forever. But I don't think we spend nearly as much time working on those things as we do working on our body. So I guess I would just suggest that maybe, maybe people spend a little more time working on who they are instead of this house or vessel that houses who we are. No. One million percent. I think we, as humans, as said, I think you get so caught up in how every day, heavy day life goes. You forget about looking after what's the most important. And at the end of the day, it's yourself and your mind, your heart. Um, because that is where you're going to make a difference in this world. And I think end of the day, all of us are on this earth to make an impact on someone else's life. And that could be through anything. That could be through coaching. That could be through um, going on podcasts. That could be through saving someone at the supermarket. It could be anything. But you've got to always want to have to work on your mind and actually put um, steps forward rather than staying stagnant. Um, that was amazing. Thank you very much, um, Terry. That was really good. Well, thank thanks for having me on. I, I really enjoyed having this conversation with you and getting your perspective on these things as well. So thank you for that. Amazing.